Good evening and welcome to a CNN special town hall. Tonight, your questions for Paul Ryan, the most powerful Republican in Washington, on where his party's heading and how he and other Republicans are coming to terms with a presidential nominee who many critics say is tearing it apart. The country is crying out for solutions. Few in Washington size it up better. The country is crying out to be unified. Yet few face such challenges. Americans divided. Republicans divided. This election is too important to go into an election at half strength. Paul Ryan made the case against Donald Trump, and when it came to endorsing him, he held off. I'm just not ready to do that at this point. I'm not there right now. But now that he is there, it's sometimes hard to tell. I do think these kinds of comments undercut these things, and I'm not gonna even pretend to defend them. The lawmakers he leads, often unleadable. The house he runs, divided. The country he loves, torn. House Speaker Paul Ryan, facing your questions tonight. Welcome to all of you who are joining us here in the audience in New York and across the country and around the world. We are being simulcast tonight on CNN International, CNN Espanol, CNN Go, and Sirius XM Satellite Channel 116. With us in the audience, voters, Republicans mainly, some Democrats, and a few who are not aligned with any party. What they have in common is they want to know more about the Republican Party's plan for solving the country's problems. They also have a few questions about the party's presumptive presidential nominee, Donald Trump. Their questions for Speaker Ryan are their own. We have seen them in advance to make sure they don't overlap. I'll be asking a few questions myself as well. So let's get right to it and introduce the Republican congressman from Janesville, Wisconsin, and of course, the current Speaker of the United States House of Representatives, Paul Ryan. Speaker Ryan, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, Jake. Good to be with you. Thank you. We want to spend as much time tonight as we can with the audience questions, but there are a few items, headlines in the news uh, that I want to, to take some time to talk to you about very briefly. First of all, obviously you were not able to go to Dallas today for the memorial service. We heard from President Obama, President Bush. What would you have said had you spoken? Well, that? something similar, actually. I think they're, I like their words. I, I'm glad that the pre both presidents were there. Um, I would have basically taken my mom's advice. Uh, you've got two ears and one mouth and use it in that proportion. Um, the point I would say is we need to show mutual respect. Uh, we need to do more listening. Um, but the first thing I, should have, I would have done is to show our support for law enforcement, to show our support for the men and women who, when they leave their families every morning with a badge on their chest, they take their lives at risk. They put their lives at risk to protect ours. And we have to acknowledge that. At the same time, I also think it's important that we acknowledge that the fact that there are people in this country who believe that because of their color of their skin, they're not as safe as everybody else. And the fact that people think that and feel that is a problem in this country. So I think it's very important that we calm down in this country. We start listening to each other. We start talking about solutions. We're already forming a bipartisan group in Congress to do just that, about training, about communities, 
And we look at those success stories that are out there in our communities and see if we can replicate that. I was talking to a friend of mine, a black pastor in, in Somerset, New Jersey, Buster Suarez. He and other black leaders in Somerset have already worked with their local police and law enforcement to have a, an accountability group and to have relationships so that these problems don't occur in the first place. So that there are great success stories and solutions that are out there already. We need to bring them to Congress, to Washington, to other communities to learn from this and to replicate it so that we can find solutions. Let's start talking about solutions. And I think we just need to calm down and start our healing process. Let's talk about the state of our union as a nation. President Obama in Dallas today said, quote, we are not as divided as we seem. Donald Trump, the Republican presumptive presidential nominee, says actually we are divided and it's never been worse. What do you think? Well, I don't know if I'd say it's never been worse. I think all of us as leaders have an obligation to do what we can to unify people in this country. And we can't just talk unification. We have to act toward unification. Um, I do think our politics have been pretty poisoned. I think our politics have been, have been bad in Washington and around the country and that we are impugning people's motives and that we are saying that if you work with the other side of the aisle, that if you try and uh, uh, reach across the aisle to have a good idea, sometimes you're a betrayer or a traitor. And we start impugning each other's motives. I think we have to go back to making politics about a contest of ideas, start talking about principles and solutions. And I think just doing that can elevate the kind and tone of our debate so we can actually start solving some problems in this country. It looks as though Donald Trump is going to pick a running mate sometime this week. Obviously, you want to uh, have him pick somebody who is qualified, who could be president if the worst possible thing happened, who has good experience, who has good chemistry. But given all those qualities as a given, what else do you think Donald Trump needs to be looking for when he picks a nominee in terms of especially whatever policy and political qualities he might need help with? Well, all those things you mentioned, plus I would like a conservative. I would like someone to assure conservatives that conservative principles will be adhered to and maintained uh, throughout not just the campaign, but throughout his presidency. So I think uh, making sure that you have someone that is familiar with and has a proven record of being a conservative reformer who understands conservative founding principles and has experience in applying those principles, that to me, it, it makes the most difference. And that's what I'm actually looking for. I'm excited about the pick. Uh, I've been involved in this before. Right. Uh, it's an exciting process for the person about to get picked. I'm excited for whoever that person's going to be. But as far as I'm concerned, all those things you said, experience can do the job, good chemistry, but someone who is going to advance conservative principles and who has a, a proven track record of doing that. That does suggest that you have some concerns about how conservative Donald Trump's root ideology is. Is well, that fair? I'd say he's, he's new to this, and he's been on different sides of different issues, and he's, he has good positions now. And, and most things we have common ground. I just want to make sure that there's going to be consistency. I want to make sure that we're going to have consistent conservatism, and all the more because I want to see our party unify. If we're going to win this fall, it is because we have unified ourselves. And it's important that we unify ourselves around our principles and then the policies that come from those principles. In the last few days under your leadership, the House of Representatives has asked the Director of National Intelligence to not give classified briefings to Hillary Clinton, uh, as all presidential nominees get. Uh, he said no to that. Uh, the House of yeah, Representatives. Got his today. You got his letter today. Uh, House Republicans are trying to make that happen legislatively. House Republicans are suggesting there should be an investigation as to whether or not she lied to Congress. House Republicans are suggesting there should be an investigation, a corruption investigation into the Clinton Foundation. Now, 
I'm sure House Republicans are all excited about those measures, but to the people in the audience and at home who think, wow, that's a lot, this seems more like trying to undermine the Democratic presidential candidate and less like a hunt for truth. What do you say? How do you convince them that this is on the up and up? First of all, the reason we know about any of this, I would argue, is because of congressional oversight. Second of all, we want to make sure that everyone is treated equally. Uh, I believe that she has gotten preferential treatment uh, throughout many, much of her career in that she believes she's above the law. She holds herself above the law, and I think everybody should be held accountable. Here's my point. Uh, James Comey, when he laid out the laundry list of things that she had done wrong, um, basically shredding the case that she had been making for herself all year long, then said, after not saying that he was going to press charges or file an indictment, that usually what's in order here where somebody mishandles classified evidence so much, information so much, that there's administrative uh, justice. There's an administrative action that occurs after a person like that. That means that person who has proven to mishandle such sensitive information should be denied future access to that information. Now, if she gets elected president, it's a different story. But I'm, I'm familiar with what she's about to get. I got this as Mitt Romney's running mate. When you come out of the convention, you get the most deeply classified secrets of our, of our government. You get read into all of our very classified programs. It's a very severe responsibility, a very serious responsibility. And I would say that any other person that did something like this, a State Department employee, somebody in the military, they would be held to the same standard, which is they would be denied that kind of information. So I think it goes with saying that we should treat people fairly. No one should be above the rules and no one should be above the law. And that is what we're looking for is equality so that we're holding people to the same set of standards. And people, that's the problem with Washington. Everybody thinks they're self-dealing and they think that, that people are being held to different standards. And the problem is that's true. And that is what, that's the basic point we're trying to make. One last question from uh, the, the headlines. Uh, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, told CNN contributor Joan Biskupic that Donald Trump is a faker, has no consistency, and she questioned how he has gotten away with, releasing his his, with not releasing his tax returns. She previously told the New York Times that she cannot imagine what the nation would look like with, under a President Trump. I know that separation of powers yeah. is an important principle to you. How do you, as a leader of the legislative branch, address a leader of the judicial branch, saying this about a potential leader of the executive branch. I find it branch. very peculiar, and I think it's out of place for an appointed branch of government. Um, I, that shows bias to me. Now, those of us who are in the elected branch of government who get elected to things, I think that that's, it's perfectly in the realm. But for someone on the Supreme Court who is going to be calling balls and strikes in the future based upon whatever the next president in Congress does, that strikes me as inherently biased and out of the realm. I don't think that I think that's something that she should not have done, because I don't think that that shows that she's intends on being impartial in the future. Well, along those lines, do you think if there is a case and certainly Supreme Court cases about candidates and Supreme Court cases about presidential administrations are common? Bush versus think Gore. She would need to let's go to Bush. Herself. Let's go to Bush versus Gore sure. in 2000. Uh, that was kind of a nail better. Remember that one? Uh, I, I think that's why I don't think judges should be weighing in on things like this. Do you think she should recuse herself? Well, let's see what happens in the future, but I don't think she should have done this in the first place. I, think it was, I don't think it was good form, and I don't think it's something that a, a Supreme Court judge should do, given the fact that they're probably going to be facing some kind of decision in the future, and this clearly calls into question her bias. All right, Speaker Ryan, stay right there. We're going to take a very quick break, and when we come back, we'll go to the audience and get their questions. This is a CNN Town Hall with House Speaker Paul Ryan. Thanks for being here.
We are back, and you're watching the CNN Town Hall with House Speaker Paul Ryan. Let's get to the audience for their questions. I'm going to start, Mr. Speaker, uh, with Zachary Marconi. He's a student, and even though he's a Republican, he says he's not supporting Donald Trump. What's your question? Thank you. Speaker Ryan, I cannot and will not support Donald Trump, and it concerns me when the Republican leadership is supporting somebody who is openly racist and has said Islamophobic statements, wants to shut down uh, our borders. How can you, uh, can you tell me, uh, how can you morally justify your support for this kind of candidate, somebody who could be very destructive? Well, for first country? of all, I'd say a, a few things. That basically means you're going to help elect Hillary Clinton. And I don't think Hillary Clinton is going to support any of the things that you stand for if you're uh, if you're a Republican. So uh, on some of the issues you, you just mentioned, I felt obligated to speak out uh, when I saw something that was wrong, when I heard something that was wrong that didn't reflect my views or the views of fellow conservatives and Republicans. So I think it's important, no matter what the circumstances, to speak out for what you believe in. Having said all of that, I also think that it's important that we put good people on the Supreme Court. That We were just talking about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. The next person in the Supreme Court will shape this court for probably a generation, you know, almost 25 years. That means, are we going to be faithful to the Constitution or not for a generation? That's point one. Point two, uh, look at the agenda that we are pursuing. Look at the agenda that we are pursuing in conjunction with our nominee, our presumptive nominee. And I know that that agenda, which I hope to have a chance to talk about, has a much better chance of going into law because I know it won't go in there with Hillary Clinton. We've got to get people out of welfare and out of poverty. We've got to fix our national security. And yes, we do have to secure our border. We've got to replace Obamacare. We've got to grow the economy. We've got to get cronyism out of the system. I can go on and on. None of those things Hillary Clinton's going to advance. She represents a third Obama term. I don't think that's good for America. I think that's the wrong direction. So yes, things have been said that I too disagree with. Then I'll make that point then but I'm going to go fight for the principles and the solutions that I believe in and the candidate that I think is so much more likely to put those into law because I know Hillary Clinton won't do that. It's a binary choice. It is either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. You don't get a third option. It's one or the other. And I know where I want to go. There are That's people in the, in the audience, actually, who think there are third options in terms of Gary Johnson and others, but we'll get to that later. I want to right now bring in uh, Peggy Padovano. You just heard from Zachary who uh, is upset that Republican leaders are supporting Donald Trump. Uh, and, and Peggy feels as though Republican leaders are not supportive enough of Donald Trump. She is a real estate paralegal uh, from Staten Island and is supporting Mr. Trump. Peggy. Hey, Peggy. Hi, how are you? I'm disheartened um, with you and some of the Republican leadership because you haven't fully gotten behind Donald Trump and his candidacy. I wanted to know when you're going to start advocating for him. After all, you did endorse him. Ten seconds ago. <laughs> so <laughs> that's number one. Number two. <laughs> so, um, look, when I hear something that I think doesn't reflect our values and principles, I'm going to say it no matter what the circumstances are, because I think it's important if you believe in core principles, you defend those principles no matter what. Um, and yes, I did endorse Donald Trump. And the reason I endorsed him is I spent a month walking through our agenda with him, talking about what we in Congress are trying to achieve and why we believe this country is headed in the wrong direction, what our principles are, and how we want to apply those principles. And I wanted to make sure that he understood where we were trying to go and that we had a willing partner to take us there. And we do, and that is why I endorse Donald Trump. Now, the other point I'd make is, uh, to, to the last young man's point, he won the election. I mean, we are a bottom-up party. We are not a top-down party. He got 14 million votes. No one else got close to that. 
So he won the primary fair and square, and that is why we want to respect the will of these voters who are the Republican primary voters who voted for him, and that's why. Mr. Speaker, there are a lot of House Republicans who are not going to go to the convention and who have not endorsed a Donald Trump. Do you think that if you were not Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, but just Congressman Paul Ryan, do you think you would have endorsed him? Well, I'm a party leader, and I do believe that I have certain institutional responsibilities as Speaker of the House that I think are very important, and it is to help keep our party unified. It is to respect the will of the primary voter who elected him among the other 16 people running. And so I think it's important. If I had not done that, I believe I would have contributed to basically cutting our party in half and thereby, by default, granting the presidency, giving the presidency to Hillary Clinton. And I couldn't do that. If I was uh, Ways and Means Chairman Paul Ryan, I would have had less of an impact, but probably the same effect. So I think it's important that we keep our party unified, make sure that we tell people who we are, what we believe in, what our principles are, but we unify and go forward by offering solutions. And that, to me, we have the best chance by having a Republican president to put those solutions in place. I want to go to Mark Hughes uh, right now. Some of you might recognize Mark from this picture we're showing uh, right behind you, uh, Mr. Speaker. He was at the rally in Dallas last Thursday night, exercising his right as a Texas resident to carry his rifle in public. Police identified him as a suspect falsely, incorrectly. They tweeted his photograph. He turned himself in. He was released. He, of course, had nothing to do with the attack. He is a Democrat, and he has a question for you about gun rights. Sir. Thank you very much. Here recently, a lone gunman, a U.S. vet, pulled off one of the most horrific attacks on police in America's soul in U.S. history, um, possibly suffering from PSD or some type of mental illness. What are you going to do to ensure that guns do not fall into the hands of individuals with some type of mental disorder? And what is your plan for vets to come back that has a potential disease for mental illness? Very good question. Uh, We just moved legislation last week on this. So this is where I do believe, just as my opening, there is common ground to be had here. Uh, We have not reformed our mental health laws in a generation. And mental illness is what we have found in these mass shootings, one of the sources of the problems. So we had a congressman who was a clinical psychologist who spent the last four years, a guy named Tim Murphy, working on revitalizing, revamping our mental illness laws, our mental health uh, laws. We just finished passing that bill. I think it was like 405 to 7 or something like that. This was a bipartisan product that revamps our mental illness laws. And we also have uh, VA issues with this. We passed our opioid bill uh, just the other day uh, to revamp the Veterans Administration as well. Uh, There are two things I'd say. We've got to get early intervention into people with mental illnesses so that we can see these problems before they materialize and have the ability to do something about it. That's point one. But with respect to vets, we've got to clean up the VA. I spent a half hour with the the veteran secretary yesterday talking about how are we going to clean up the VA so that the VA can specialize on its unique problems. PTSD, traumatic brain injury, prosthetics, there are special things that are unique to veterans that we've got to get the VA to focus on. So the problem is we had this huge waiting list. We had the VA bureaucracy sweeping the waiting list under the rug. So we had to clean up the mess at the VA. We actually put a new program in place to do that, but we've got to get the VA to focus on what it's supposed to do that is unique to the VA, and PTSD, I think, is a big part of that so that we can give veterans access to other healthcare things that are more routine, not veteran-specific. Get the VA focused on what they should be doing. PTSD, prosthetics, 
TBI, things like that. And that is what we haven't been doing. We've been spreading it too thin. It's not lack of money. We always give the VA more money than they even ask for for veterans health care. It's bureaucracy. It is, it is mismanagement. And that, to me, is something that's got to get fixed. And we've been working on this quite a bit lately. Turning to the issue of, of guns, though, and keeping guns out of the hands of people who have serious problems and should not be able to get guns, do you think Congress has done enough on that front? Not, I'm not talking about keeping guns out of the hands about, of law-abiding citizens who have their Second Amendment rights, et cetera, but people who have serious mental health problems, emotional problems, possible ties to terrorist organizations, people that nobody would think should get yeah, a gun. Right. So no on the mental illness part. That's why we're passing legislation dealing with the mental illness issue, and, and it's, it's a very important point. Um, with respect to terrorists, what I think a lot of the solutions that, that, that the Democrats have been putting forward, they would not have stopped these shootings. They would not have prevented these things. You have to remember, um, right now, if you're a criminal, if you're uh, a terrorist, you don't get a gun. The question is um, people slipping through the cracks. The FBI right now is alerted when someone on a watch list attempts to buy a gun. And, and the question is, can we give the FBI the tools they need to be able to do something about that if a person tries to buy a gun that's on a watch list. But you got to remember one thing. Any bureaucrat can put you on this watch list. You can be placed upon this watch list and can't get off this watch list. Therefore, you have no due process rights. So it's really important that when we swear our oath to the Constitution as members of Congress, that we defend the Constitution. That includes the Second Amendment, but also the Fifth Amendment, our right to due process. So what we don't want to do is pass a law that we know violates a law-abiding citizen's rights, take away their rights without their due process. And that is unfortunately what I think many people are asking Congress to do. The Senate already defeated it, and that's not what we want to do. So the question is, can we give law enforcement the tools they need to prevent terrorists from getting guns without violating a, a citizen's rights? The answer is yes, we can. I want to go now to Father Michael Duffy. He's currently serving a parish in Farmingdale, New York. He's a registered Republican. He says he is having difficulty coming to terms with supporting Donald Trump. Father. Mr. Speaker, as a Catholic priest, I don't ask uh, somebody for their documentation when they come to ask me for help. One of the things that surprised me is the difficulty in giving people help that are here illegally. Um, what can we do to better meet the basic human needs of the poor in this country, even if they're here illegally, um, as human beings, despite what Mr. Trump has said on the issue. Well, first of all, thank you. I'm a practicing Catholic myself, and, and the name Duffy is a very familiar name to me. We have a big Irish community where I live. Uh, and St. Killian's is your parish, yep. right? Yep. So I'm sure you deal with this in your own parish duties. Big time. Uh, I'd say a few things, and I've written very extensively about immigration reform. Mm -hmm. Number one, you have to secure the border. Yep. You have to secure the border for many reasons. Enforcing the rule of law, guarding against uh, heroin coming to the border, ISIS from trying to infiltrate our country. And you have to secure the border also so that the public believes that the rule of law is being applied in this country, so that they have faith that our government's actually doing its basic responsibility in keeping the country secure. Then I believe you need to fix this broken immigration system. Yeah. So once you get this border secured, you've got to fix a broken legal immigration system, which isn't working. It's 20th century. We need to bring it to the 21st century. I think there are ways of helping people get right with the law that don't involve violating the rule of law or committing something like an amnesty. Mm -hmm. There are ways of getting people right with the law so that they can earn um, their place without rewarding people or rewarding people for cutting in line. And that to me, it's a longer conversation I'm happy to get into. Mm -hmm. I think there's a way of doing this, but you cannot even get to that 
if we have no faith that we actually control who comes and goes in this country, who, whether we're securing our border or not. And that is the problem. No one has faith that our government is doing its job because in the border, they're not. And that's why I think securing the border is really important. Let me get to the poverty point you mentioned. Please take a look at our agenda. This is one of the most important reforms that I think we're offering, which is a better way to solve poverty, a better way to fight poverty. Go to better.gop. Better.gop is where we've released our agenda. I spent the last four years uh, going around this country, visiting with poor communities, learning about um, the poor and the suffering and better ideas for fighting poverty. Mm-hmm. We've put in a very aggressive plan to go at the root causes of poverty, to try and break the cycle of poverty. And I would argue our current approach to the government of fighting poverty treats symptoms of poverty, which perpetuates poverty. Our welfare system replaces work. It doesn't incentivize work. And as a result, we're trapping people in poverty. It's not working. So we think that there's a better way of reigniting what I call upward mobility, the American idea, and getting people out of poverty Please take a look at these ideas. We have lots of them. I'd love to get into it if you if you give me time. But this is now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call me country. Beyonce and Nashville's renaissance. Watch it at Max.com slash call me country. Max subscription required.